And we are, this is part number nine of our um, Acts of Jesus Christ through his apostles. And we're in the book of Acts, Acts chapter four. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 31 tonight, Lord willing. 13 through 31. And I've kind of titled the message, They Had Been With Jesus. They Had Been With Jesus. And we're not going to read all the verses at once. I'm going to go through and uh, expound upon each verse and take a few together at a time as well. And so um, I just want to catch you up where we left off last time in our studies. As we saw, Peter had preached there on the porch of Solomon uh, and many people had come to Christ, and this was right after the healing of the lame man who'd been lame since birth. And all these folks were flocking to hear what Peter had to say, and it had gained a lot of attention. It spread all over the place now. And the religious leaders were upset over it, and they needed to find out what was going on, wh- who these men were, whose name they were doing this in, who gave them the authority to do it in. And so they kind of placed them under house arrest for the night. It was late in the day and they didn't want to convene a court. And so they just kind of arrested them and, and held them uh, against their will until they could question them the next day. And so what happens, we pick up where that ended after um, Peter had kind of gave his little explanation to them. And we're going to find out what they had to say about his defense. And we're going to see that it uh, turns out it doesn't work out quite like they expected. So let's go ahead and look at verse 13. The Bible says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And I told you I titled the message, They Had Been With Jesus. That's where that comes from. Uh, to say that Peter and John were bold is an understatement. I mentioned it last time. These the things they're doing right in the face of the religious leaders, this was kind of defying them because they were the ones that were supposed to be teaching the people and, and teaching God's word, but yet they were failing at that. And Peter and John stand up in boldness and declare the word of God and they connect it with Jesus and, and tell them point blank that he was the Messiah that had came and that they had killed him. <laughs> uh, so to say they were bold really is an understatement. They're standing before this group of men who more or less could declare them guilty or innocent. Uh, they could have them executed like they did Jesus. I mean, they, they brought in false accusers. Uh, for Jesus, his trial, that uh, lied about him. And uh, so they could have done the same thing. They, they probably had enough time that night. I'm sure they probably thought about doing that. Uh, but the fame of these two and, and, and the, the thing that took place, the healing of the layman, has spread already. And so they have to be very careful uh, of what they do. And so this same group of cutthroats here, uh, they were dealing with Jesus you know, before they were dealing with the apostles. And it's obvious that the apostles here, they're they're more concerned with what God thinks than they are these men. And certainly uh, they are bold in front of them. It says, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. Uh, Those adjectives they describe Peter and John with, unlearned and ignorant. Uh, They're kind of the same, uh, much the same meaning. Uh, it means that they could tell they had not been taught proper, you know, uh, way of speaking or language skills. They'd not been to school. They've not been uh, under a rabbi and been taught, you know, um, 
speaking skills or anything like that, not received any kind of formal education. We know they were fishermen. Uh, in that day, fishermen didn't go to college. Yeah. <laughs> they went to school, school of fish is where they went. <laughs> but uh, they, they perceive, in other words, they can tell by the way they look and the way they act, that these were not educated men. They're not on their social level that they claim that they are on. Uh, it says they were unlearned. But that word ignorant right there, it comes from a Greek word, you might uh, recognize it, idiotes. And that word means ignoramus. Now, we don't really say ignoramus much anymore. We used to when I was a kid. I heard that word quite often. But we more or less just say simply idiot. Now, that's not a word you really want to hear in church, but that's what this word means is they perceive them to be idiots, buffoons, if you will. Uh, these religious leaders don't think much about these apostles. They don't hold them up in high regard or high esteem. They just think they're a couple of um, buffoons. And so the only problem is that these unlearned and ignorant men, typically they're not able to speak like these men have been speaking. Um, they've not, uh, they wouldn't normally get up and be bold in front of a, a crowd of men such as they were. And so they were acting different than the unlearned and ignorant men that they're used to. And certainly, uh, ignorant men didn't go around healing lame men and preaching with power and boldness and authority. And so it was very unusual. And that's why the Bible says that these men marveled. They marveled. That means they had a fascinating admiration for the men um, and the way they were behaving. But here's the good part. It says, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. There was absolutely no doubt where these men got their power from, their authority, their, their healing abilities. It came from Jesus, and they recognized it. These men recognized that's where it came from. They could say nothing against it, as it says in our next verse. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But for that time being, these men of great authority, the religious leaders, the teachers, the, uh, the um, judges, the courts, and all this, the priests, the high priest, and the priests, uh, kindred, they were all there. Remember, there's a bunch of people there. And they have to come out and admit that this power came from Jesus. And uh, so it means that um, they would have to recognize the fact of what Peter says is they murdered their Messiah, the Son of God. All right, look at verse 14. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Now, there's no doubt a great miracle had taken place. There was no questioning it. Everybody knew that man. They walked past this man for years and years and years. And um, he simply could not walk. It was impossible to. And to see him standing there beside these two apostles, they could not deny that a miracle had taken place or say anything against it. They can't say anything against the miracle that took place. So they're feeling pretty probably foolish at this point, and as well they should. Uh, but they're also worried because of what's going to happen, what the, what the repercussions are going to be of their decision on what to do with these men. Look at verse 15. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? 
For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. <laughs> Can you see this group of men? So they they took Peter and John and, and the healed lame man out of the room. They're out. They got the doors closed. They're all gathered around the table, and I can see them, you know, scratching their head, looking at each other. What are we going to do, guys? I mean, what are we going to do with these two these two guys? Um, we can't say anything against the miracle because, I mean, it's obvious it's a real miracle. And do you notice it said that uh, it is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem? This has spread so quickly uh, when news got out. But there were thousands of people there. And so these thousands of people went out all over the city and spread the news. Now, everybody knows about it, so something's got to be done, but they've got to be very careful about it. And so I can just see them all sitting in there, you know, what are we going to do, boys? We're going to look bad if this, if this comes out. You know, if we do the wrong thing here, it's going to look real bad. <laughs> and so, But they have to do something. They know that. They can't say anything against the miracle, and uh, they got to decide. Look at verse 17. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. All right. Of course, we know this name means Jesus. And so what they're saying is, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to threaten these guys. And we're going to tell them, don't you ever go around teaching and preaching in the name of this Jesus anymore. Because if you do, it's going to be real bad. And so that's their plan. That's what they're going to do. They're not going to... Uh, uh, beat them and, and all this stuff at this point. They're going to later, but uh, at this point they're not going to do that. They're just going to threaten them. And so they can't deny the miracle. They can't sweep it under the rug. They're not going to admit to anybody that they are wrong. So they decide the best thing to do is just to shut them up, uh, tell them they cannot preach in the name of Jesus anymore, and threaten them. And it probably went something like this. And they looked at the apostles and they probably said, The council has hereby unanimously decided that you men are never to teach or preach or heal anyone in the name of this Jesus anymore. And if we catch you doing it again, you're going to be in big trouble. <laughs> Essentially, that's what they're saying. Uh, I mean, this is worse than a, than a Bugs Bunny cartoon, you know. It's, just, it's, it's ridiculous. Look at verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now, this council was not expecting that answer back. They were expecting these two men to grovel like most men would have. They're expecting them to, you know, have their heads down and thinking, oh, boy, we're in big trouble now. I, you know, they want Peter to say, John, we're in big trouble. We can't ever preach about Jesus anymore. We can't ever mention his name. That's what they wanted. But they did not do that. Instead, they put it back on them. Peter says, whatever, you know, that's up to you guys. Whatever you want to do, you want to threaten us, you want to, whatever you want to do, that's fine. But we're going to keep on preaching about Jesus. It's not going to, we can't help but do it. If, if you'd been present in Jesus' presence and saw the things he did, you would be out preaching about him. So we can't help it. We're going to do it anyway. And so uh, they put it back on the council. Look at verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. All right, so obviously this has upset the council greatly. Peter telling him that they're going to go ahead and do it anyway. 
and they can't just make a rash decision to say, okay, let's just put them back here and beat them to death. You know, they, they can't do it because all these people already know the word's gotten out and they're saying this was a miracle of God. And if these religious men hurt or kill the apostles that were responsible for this, oh, it's going to be bad. This is going to be a, a, a riot. It's going to take place. They're probably going to burn the temple down. They're going to do something. It's going to be crazy. And so they know that. And they, so they threaten them more. Uh, what more could they do? You know, they've done said, we don't care what you threaten us with. We're going to do it anyway. I just imagine they're so mad and turning red and, you know, telling them, boy, you got, you're in so big trouble. I can hear it now. <laughs> and so uh, they don't want to look bad. And uh, look at verse 22. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. Now, see, here's the, here's the problem. If this had been maybe a baby that was lame and now it was okay, they would have just said something like, well, he he grew out of it. Or, you know, it was just, uh, he's lucky that uh, he, he come out of that. Um, but this man, for 40-something years, has been this way, and everybody knows him and knows that, that fact. There's nothing. They can't just push this under the rug. They've, the, you know, they have to admit it, and they can't come up with some trumped-up charge. It's a high-profile case. <laughs> and all the people are glorifying God because of the miracle. So if that man had only been lame for a little while, they would even have said, well, you know, he's lucky that he, he healed naturally or something. Um, and so, but this is a big deal, and so they can't do that. Uh, the Bible told us in Acts 3 and 2, we've already studied it, it said, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask of alms of them that entered into the temple. And it tells us he was above 40 years old, so it lasted for 40 years he's been this way. And it's obvious he's not outgrown it. And uh, that no doctor come and healed him, that it was a miracle. It had to be. And no doubt it was of God. Verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. I love this part. They come right back to the church. And that's where they're going. They're going to the church. And they're telling everybody, they're giving a recount of everything that happened since they got locked up. You know, well, we spent the night in, you know, lockup. And then this morning, they, they held a trial, and they threatened us and told us we couldn't ever preach about Jesus anymore, couldn't ever heal in the name of Jesus anymore. And so uh, I can see Peter. I just told him, you know, well, that's fine if that's what you want to do, but I'm going to keep on preaching. And so they're telling everybody in the church it's what's happened. And uh, I love that the church is there ready to receive it. And now I'm sure they're all anxious and wondering, you know, what's become of their, their apostles. And uh, they, wanna, they want some news. You know, this could have been the end of Christianity. If, if Peter and John had a back down and said, okay, we won't ever do it again, and just walked away and never preached about Jesus, that could have been the end of Christianity. But uh, God wasn't going to have it that way. Uh, so he, he, he brought up these men because he knew the kind of men they were, and they, they, loved, they loved the Lord. And they're not going to back down. And the Lord knew that. And so Christianity is just kept on growing and growing. And I'm sure the Jewish council was hoping that it would just go away. But the church, you know, they could have had a business meeting and said, all right, guys, it's getting bad. You know what just happened to the two preachers? They got arrested. What should we do? Should we just quit having church? Should we just, you know, give up on this Jesus and, you know, go back to Judaism? Should we just go back, you know, and... 
uh, back in, in, in the synagogue and the temple and, and just do, do th- you know, the sacrifices and all that? Should we just keep doing that? They could have done that. Um, they, you know, probably were afraid of being arrested or putting in prison. Uh, maybe they thought about hiding out while it all blew over. Um, maybe those things were going through their mind. We don't know. But we do know what they did. Notice what they did. Uh, and it's what all churches should do. They prayed. They prayed. Look at verse 24. Here's their prayer. And when they heard that, and when it says when they heard that, when they heard what Peter said took place, <clears throat> when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God. In other words, they began praying with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, uh, all that in them is who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against this thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy, thy holy child, Jesus. And so notice the Bible said they prayed in one accord. They lifted up their voices. And what they do? They, they reached back into the Old Testament and they grabbed Scripture and prayed with it. That's what they were praying from Psalm 2. 1 through 12, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O you kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. And so they reached back into the Psalms and grabbed that Psalm of David and uh, used it in their prayer. I love a good scriptural prayer. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's nice to hear. And they prayed, notice some of the things they prayed about. They prayed that the Lord would give their preachers boldness to preach. And to be able to perform miracles in the name of the Holy Child, Jesus. Uh, I noticed that they prayed in one accord. There wasn't just one person that was appointed to pray and everybody listened. Sometimes we get into that little habit. We ask somebody to pray and we all listen to that person pray. And we all be praying ourselves. And so there wasn't just one person praying and everybody else listening. When they called for altar prayer, that early church got serious and everybody joined in together and started praying in corporate prayer. Uh, I wish today's church would do the same thing. 
We need to pray in one accord. We need to come together and get serious with the Lord and praying for the church, the members, the leadership, the community, the lost, all these things. We ought to all have these same thoughts on our hearts and approach God together in prayer about it. Let him know we're serious. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now notice what a sincere prayer. that the, When the church prays, what happened? The place was shaken. Now we don't know exactly what that means. I mean, did God cause an earthquake all of a sudden? I don't know. Did, was it just the building they were in that started moving? The ground uh, rumbling? I don't know. It doesn't go into great detail, but it does say the place was shaken. They were so filled with the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. Um, one of these days I'll preach a message on that. The place was shaken. Uh, but some people want to dismiss this and say that maybe they were just all shook up. No, they wasn't just shook up. Don't dismiss a miracle in the Bible. God's answer, answer to these folks was, I heard you. Here's proof. I love it. He shook the building they were in, the ground, whatever it was. It was no small matter. Don't forget that God can shake the place any time he pleases. You can't stop him. If he wants to shake it, he'll shake it. Paul and Silas were down in the bottom of that prison. What happened? They started singing hymns there in the, in the middle of the night, and the whole prison heard them. And what happened? The prison bars, the prison started shaking. The bars fell off. Chains come off. People were free from that prison. Acts 16.25 says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately... All the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. You talk about a shaking. That shook enough to shake them uh, chains off their arms and bars off the windows. The Jews understood when God revealed his power, there was going to come a, a great shaking, a great earthquake. Isaiah 29 and 6 says, Thou shalt be visited of the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with storm and tempest and the flame of devouring fire. So you better believe they, they right quickly understood that this was God shaking this place. They didn't somebody run out and say, go get meteorologist Heather Haley and ask her if we had an earthquake. No, said that uh, well, they, they knew what it was. Psalm 68 and 8, the earth shook. The heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. The same God that the Bible talks about in the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. He's the same God in the here and now. And he can do all the same things. I believe one of the reasons we don't see some of these things is because we don't, we don't have enough faith. Uh, we don't come and boldly declare the word of God. We don't get serious with God. And until we get serious with him, I don't see him getting serious with us. We've got to get serious with God. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And I believe this is one of the biggest differences between that first century church and the current 21st century church, is that people in the early church were filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, they lived different lives. They weren't uh, distracted all the time by one of these. 
I'm sure they had their distractions of other things. But uh, they weren't distracted with all the things of the world. Today, people are, are just uh, so distracted. You can tell somebody something, they act like they're listening to you. You ask them right after you told them whatever it was, and they didn't hear you. They couldn't tell you what you just said. We get to, Sometimes me and Mary get distracted, and she'll tell me something, and five minutes later, I'll ask her about it. And she'll say, well, I, just, I just told you that. Well, okay, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. Uh, but... Today, Christians are distracted with everything, distracted with the things of the world. And when you've got so much world in you, it's, it's hard to, to, to get filled with the Holy Ghost. When you're filled with the world, we need to be filled more with the Holy Ghost and not the world. We might see great things happen like the early church did. They were in touch with God at all times. They allowed God to direct their lives, their actions, through the Holy Ghost. And they witnessed great power in the church. Today's church has become anemic. Most churches have lost their power. We've certainly lost our influence in the world. Churches now are just laughing stock for most of the world. Um, used to, there was respect for the church. Even somebody that wasn't a Christian, they respected the church building. Uh, nobody would do anything to it. You wouldn't go in a church parking lot and do some of the things that goes on these days. Our former church, I used to have to run off drug addicts and, and perverts and everything else out of that parking lot. They didn't care if it was a church. People drinking, shooting up drugs, everything else in the church parking lot. Uh, we went down there one time. There was a, a couple in a car uh, with the windows all steamed up. And I went and knocked on the window. And I said, hey. I said, you need to get out of here. They said, well, this is a church. And I said, that's right, it's a church. Get out of here. They were mad at me because I was running them off the church property. And them in there doing such things. And so people today, they don't have any respect for the church. The church has lost its influence. Uh, would to God that today's church would experience such power through the Holy Spirit like this early church did and do what is right in the sight of God. You know, this past Sunday, uh, our service was so wonderful. I was telling people all week long, I said, boy, what a service we had. It felt, I, I felt some of that. I felt the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I felt people... Uh, with boldness, being able to speak out and declare and people to sing or, and whatever. It, just, it was just like church used to be. Um, you know, you don't get that everywhere these days. A lot of places, you've got to have, you've got, your name's got to be in the bulletin if you're going to sing. But you've got to okay it with the music minister. You know, you, you've got to get permission from somebody else to get up and speak or do anything like that. I don't believe in that. Uh, we're all part of the church. If the Holy Spirit's leading us, guiding us to do something, then I think we ought to do that. I don't think we ought to quench the Spirit. When somebody won't allow somebody to get up and speak, you know, uh, think the things of God, give their testimony, or share a song God's laid on their heart, and you don't allow that, you're quenching the Spirit. And so, I mean, I felt that, that, that Spirit Sunday, and uh, it's, it's wonderful. I love it. I, you know, we need to be that way every service. Just you know, follow the Holy Spirit and, and do what He says to do. And uh, we'll see great things happen. But that's the way the church ought to be. And that's what the Lord is looking for, by the way. <clears throat> he says in John 4 and 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. So the only way we can do it in the spirit is if we're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> if we're allowing him to dictate our lives and, and uh, we, we actually step out and walk in the spirit. 
you know, I, I, give, I keep giving that example about me straddling that electric fence when I was a kid. A lot of people think they can do that. They can straddle the world and straddle God at the same time. And, you know, it doesn't work that way. You've got to get off the fence. You're either going to do one or you're going to do the other. Make up your mind. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And so, uh, anyway, we're going to end right there. Uh, things are just going to get more uh, hectic for the church. Uh, but God's going to continue growing the church and multiplying the members despite what the religious crowd of the day uh, wants and, uh, or Rome wants. And so uh, I'm looking forward to our next studies. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the Bible study tonight. I pray that it's been helpful. Lord, thank you so much for revealing these things to us in your word. And God, that uh, we have this precious word to be able to, to read about you and learn about you. God, help us where we fail. God, uh, may you just, uh, may you be in our lives. May we not do anything we ought not to, God, but just get as close as we can to the Holy Spirit and live in such a way. And God, may we see great things in this church. May we feel the wall shake, God, the ground shake, Lord, and, and that you're right in the middle of it. Help us with it, Father, and keep us safe on our way home tonight. Bring us back here on Sunday, ready to worship again. God, may we worship all week long in our homes and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.